Calling all beans, y'all. Let's get it. great man yeah. that, that was great to get in a workout man because that's what you got to do when you're coming on with this guest because this man know his way around the weight room mm-hmm. so welcome back to calling all beings i'm your host dj along with my co-host the brilliant the sexy and the man who looked like rocky today money man nathan what's up nathan what's up dj hey man one love and give it mm-hmm. up to associate producer and new member of the team Party people, put some of those hands together for Akashi Chris. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm All right. Nathan's Rocky look. It is, man. It is. Nathan I makes like chugging eggs along with your workout. Yeah, I've got that right over here. <laughs> this is what Rocky would look like if he was an intellectual <clears throat> and had done as much study. Instead of going, hey, I got two turtles here. Name is Cuff and Link. <laughs> You know what I mean? I don't know. What do turtles think about it? Yo, Adrian. But anyway, <laughs> all right. Let's bring in uh, our very special guest. We've been chasing this man for months, Nathan. Mm-hmm. Months. Months. Years. More difficult to get on than James Earl Carter Jr., <laughs> president of the United States in 1976. Damn. So, but I'll tell you what. Without further ado, mm-hmm. let's bring in mm-hmm. the Hudson Valley's own. New York's own, engaging the phenomenon's own. This brother got the meta perspective. Put your hands together for James Yandoli. Yes. James Yandoli, people, he in my hometown. Right across from Linda Zimmerman. Yes. True, true. Yes, man. If he swam across, he'd be like, yo, Linda, throw me a towel. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to do it this summer, by the way. I'm going to swim from Linda's side to your side. It's going to happen again. So (laughs) Again? Oh, man. Again. I did it last summer, and I did it the summer before. All right. Uh, James, man, welcome to the show, brother. Thanks for having me. Uh, I, you know, fortunately, I was able to make it here for that panel, so mm-hmm. I've been here before. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, returning but- guest. In fact, James may be our only returning guest so far. Yeah, you think of it that way. Uh, well, Andy, Andy's been on a couple of times. Uh, mm. I don't prior. remember that. I don't remember. Yeah, that. Andy doesn't count. <laughs> Andy, Andy's not here. Yeah, I'll tell you what, man. It, it, no, it, it, it's super exciting. We needed more bandwidth. James and uh you know quite frankly first of all we've been trying to get you on even before I heard your story because um Nathan gave me his top five uh, the week that we said okay we're officially collaborating and we're going to be a show um I said you know what's your top five and you were on there exo academian was on there I want to say Zignal was on there mm-hmm, I think so yeah but I don't remember who the other two were but you were uh, on there James Blitz, I think. yeah James <laughs> was your a top five buddy <laughs> yes yeah that is so I said in all of UFO Twitter anybody that you could have on because I'll ask anybody to be on the show I don't care who it is 
and uh, and James knows that. <laughs> so so uh, so so you were you know you were top five, and it's an honor to speak with you. And I'm glad we're gonna have a little bit more time. At, but the the point I was getting at was after hearing of your experiences, uh, your personal experiences, I was pretty blown away. So um, the out of body experience that you had after the car wreck. Uh, and it's just, it was really deep, man. And I hope that, um, you'd be willing to revisit that today for us. Yeah, sure. I can. Um, you know, I, yeah, for, for many years, I really didn't even talk about that. Even, even within the CE5 community, uh, cause you know, I was pretty, even now still today, I'm pretty involved in the CE5 community. And, um, a lot of those experiences I didn't, I didn't really talk about for, for a while. I mean, my, my close um, friends and family, uh, they knew, the people that were there knew, and and people that I knew really closely in the CE5 community. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I only publicly started sharing that, um, I believe this year, actually. Um, is it... How do you like quantify or how do you how do you describe an experiencer? To me, I describe it as someone who was emotionally affected by whatever it was that that happened to him as a result of that contact. How, how would you characterize or, or, or describe what you consider an experiencer to be? Yeah, well, you know what? Um, I don't I don't even really like that term. Hmm. Uh, and I, I understand its usefulness. So I understand the usefulness of language and we're trying to point to a certain thing, describe it and pack it nice in our, in our minds and understand it. Um, I ne- had never really considered myself an experiencer. I don't title myself an experiencer. Um, although I obviously I acknowledge, um, you know, having such experiences kind of puts you in a category kind of like what you're saying right um but yeah i guess you can and and you have to say what what kind of experiencer Mm. because there's people that um i mean it it does so happen that you you know once you have one of these experiences you're kind of more likely to have some of the others Mm -hmm. um but that's not always the case there's people that have um you know i mean again yeah wow there's there's a lot to go with there because right you have people yeah. that do psychedelics and they have a psychedelic experience right it's, are they experiencers or are we just talking about the ufo phenomenon specifically um and then at what point do you separate the ufo phenomenon from um paranormal spi- spiritual beings right yeah. um uh how do you separate what somebody would call an angel from an extraterrestrial intelligence or a UFO or even a ghost. And then at that point, what if what you thought was a ghost was actually some kind of ET hologram, right? I mean, so there's all this, uh, there's, there's a lot of ways you can go with that, but yeah, I guess how you're framing it is, is actually pretty accurate. You know, somebody who has in this case, an experience with, with the UFO phenomenon. I mean, that's how, uh, from my understanding, how that that term was generally used, experiencer. Um, I don't know what, if if John Mack dubbed it that, uh, but I believe it came out around that time because they didn't want to use the word abductee. They wanted to use different um, language and terminology to 
to represent what they were experiencing. Right. Um, so I think they use that term. So it's it's accurate in that sense. But then again, you know, in a more nuanced conversation, uh, that can go a lot of ways, right? Right. But, it, it seems like the division, and maybe this is just one division among many, but it's those who seek the experience, they're initiating the experience, like a C5, for example, and those who who have the experience come to them, you know, sort of maybe not of their planning or volition or whatever, they are sort of thrust onto the stage of the experience. And it's like a, I'm trying to think of a way to qualify it, but it's almost as if the line between waking reality and non-waking reality is incredibly blurred and it's hard to tell the difference between the two. It's not quite lucid dreaming, but it sort of falls into maybe kind of that category. Well, and, and then, uh, you know, I have somebody coming on for contact week and for people watching and listening, contact week is going to be December 12th to December 19th. I'm going to have somebody come on. They're going to share their story. Uh, hopefully if they don't back out. Right. Um, <laughs> right. And they haven't shared their story in many years. Mm. And I, I knew them pretty, pretty freshly after their experience. And they were somebody who, who initiated a contact experience. Um, and, you know, they didn't, I, I don't, maybe they didn't know what to expect, but they had a very profound contact experience in broad daylight, which even though it was a CE5 initiated mm. uh, contact, that experience changed their life mm -hmm. like quite profoundly. So, I mean, at, at that point, you know, whether it was an invited or not, that is uh, an experience, right. With a pretty traumatic impact. So, um, yeah. You know, or are we, are we talking about somebody who has just uh, repeated experiences like let, myself or, or somebody like... Let uh, me draw a parallel. Let me draw a parallel. So, for our, a, a juxtaposition. Mm. For me, I saw something in, in Peekskill that oh. was uh, at the Peekskill Ranch where I grew up, floated up above the tree line and headed off down your way towards like Mohegan Lake, uh, Yorktown Heights area. And I only saw it for just a couple of seconds, but it's pretty obvious what, what this what this was at Sunday night, uh, you know, in Peekskill in, in September. But um, I wasn't emotionally affected by it. It didn't it didn't come close to me. It didn't affect me in a way that I could really say, wow, you know, I now what would happen if I would have had a much closer contact. So that's what. But you and, and some of the other experiencers, there's a significant uh, that contact, be because it was contact, mine is just like, oh, wow, look at that. And then it floated away. Whereas with somebody else, there's actually, you have time to actually look at it and go, oh my God, like, what does this mean? That's actually, yeah, that's a great conversation. Actually, you guys could do a whole podcast on that. Um, basically doing uh, close encounters versus experiencers. Mm -hmm. uh, because again, you know, if, if somebody, an experiencer, because they have regular experiences, um, I think more people would categorize that as accurate as, as somebody who has repeated experiences, whether invited or not invited. And again, at some point that line does blur, mm -hmm. um, just a, as an example with, uh, CE5, right. If somebody starts doing CE5s and they're really into it and they're doing, uh, you know, a few CE fives a week, there, there comes a point where you could just not be doing any CE fives and you're just having interactions as well. So that mm. does occur. So, um, 
Do you know yeah. of any Go folks in, in the C5 community who have been trying uh, to have an experience for, for some time and and haven't been able to have one through the, the CU5? Method? So I know there, there are people that have a harder time. Hmm. Um, and again, you know, there's no actual uh, like scientific studies on, on that. And, and, and again, right. a, a studies for other things. I mean, I think that kind of like we can speculate on that, mm. but the actual understanding, I think we're far away from on, on a scientific level, right. just because, you know, we, uh, we can speculate and I actually there, now there's some good science being done behind the scenes, mm. but as to why some people are good remote viewers or not, mm -hmm. um, you know, there actually now in this day and age, there is, I think some science being done on that. Um, but, uh, you know, again, even 10 years ago, you know, you couldn't you couldn't un explain as to why that might be other than right. pure speculation. Um, and uh, but if I were to speculate, I would say um, mental conditioning, belief mm -hmm. systems um, and kind of the quality of your intention, the quality of your kind of how seriously you're taking it, the reasoning you're, you're trying to do it. Um, and if you're really putting effort in, you know, uh, mm. if you're, if you're somebody who's I, I, most of the case, if somebody's really serious about it and they're going out a few times a week, trying to do it for several weeks, even a month or two, it's going to happen. I think like 90% of the time. That that high, wow! That that's a very high rate of success, I would say. Well, well, no, I mean, like ninety percent of the time, it's it's going to eventually occur. Mm. Not not that it's going to occur ninety percent of the time. Got you. Uh, just Got for you. clarity. Um, so, if, go ahead. No, I I was trying to be really broad and just say like when I think of music, I think of what is the purpose of as, as an artist if you're producing music. What is what is your goal? And ultimately, your goal. If you look at it from a 30,000 foot view is to move emotion. If you're successful in your performance, particularly a live performance, mm -hmm. is to move emotion among the audience. Mm -hmm. Whatever that type, that genre of music is, is to move. So for a metalhead, sometimes it's, you know, it's aggression, right? But uh, for uh, other forms of music, it, it, it's a different, for the Beatles, it was an excitement. It was a mm -hmm. wow. And so I think of, uh, the difference between a sighting and an experience is, oh, I saw something. And then an experiencer is someone like, oh, my God, I saw something. And I'm going to start looking at my life right? and and thinking about what just happened and it becoming a big deal. Like that didn't happen with me. But there's a lot of my friends here from UFO Twitter uh, that, that it has happened with. And so, oh, okay, we don't have uh, Deb backstage yet. We have somebody on to actually ask you a question about CE5, uh, and her name is Deb, and she is at a study of UFOs and UAPs. But we'll we'll get back to her. So we'll just continue on with uh, with the beatings that Nathan and I have for you. Uh, <laughs> the well, continue. I was going to say you're you're talking about uh, you're trying to go broad. You're probably looking at my shoulders here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, James, there it is, baby. We got the camera. Man, why don't you have a, some sort of weightlifting equipment in your hand right now? All right, go ahead. <laughs> I got nothing here. Okay. Um, <laughs> 
The but what what year was your signing? Uh, it was about eighty two. So what? Okay, wow. The so it was at the very grade. yeah, it was the, the very beginning end. of the the Hudson Valley UFO wave, which is spectacular. Um, and I think I know Linda's Linda Zimmerman has done the tremendous work on it, but I think it's an underappreciated. I mean, you know what? Actually, now that I think about it, even like there, there's so much new stuff going on that it's it's you know a lot of that stuff like even the phoenix lights i don't hear about that much anymore and it's like earth shattering right you know kind of <laughs> mass sighting you know o'hare uh mm-hmm. the o'hare airport Amazing. thing was tremendous um and and the gulf breeze incidents you know those are all mm-hmm. huge flat ufo events big waves where there's constant sightings right but the hudson valley you know i, I guess i'm fortunate enough to grow up that I grew up in this area and I had met plenty of people, um, you know, more so after I was a researcher and I was like looking around and speaking to people. And I, you know, I'm the kind of person, obviously I'm a New Yorker, so I'll just ask people <laughs> what they think. Yeah. <laughs> but I met, I met um, actually somebody at my library mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, she ended up having several experiences during that, um, the U- Hudson Valley UFO wave and she was actually she ended up being featured in uh, one of uh, Linda Zimmerman's books. Oh, I I actually yeah I've actually I didn't meet someone from the book, but I did meet someone that Linda uh, did uh, interview, and that's how I got uh, her phone number <laughs> so mm. to call her. But uh, one of my high school classmates, I posted on our our uh, class webpage, and I was like crickets, no one responded. Then finally, a girl came and said. She said, uh, yeah, Dave, she said, I had uh, I had an experience. Linda Zimmerman came and interviewed us and my neighbor. My whole family saw it in the backyard uh, yeah. and, and my neighbor. So in Montrose, right near where you live. So, yeah, it's funny because um, at one of my jobs, I met somebody and randomly I, you know, I brought up the issue because I was talking about the disclosure project, you know, some years ago. I was talking to some people at work about it. and. Uh, this gentleman actually told me, he's, you know, he's like, yeah, you know, in the eighties, I was, you know, out in this field and we saw this huge silent craft of these, the boomerang basically explained, go over them completely silently. And um, I mean, when he's telling the story, he's, you can see he's, he was, you know, kind of reminiscing and he was amazed by what he had experienced. I don't know how drastically it had changed his life, but um, he was, you could tell, you know, he was, uh, I guess you can say a, a believer, um, and what he saw was pretty profound. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's kind of, um, a decent amount of that around here, which I think is fortunate. There's a spectrum, you know, of people, but I mean, just that, you know, when someone's talking about it, it's emotionally moving. I, unfortunately, I'm, you know, mine wasn't very emotionally moving cause I just didn't get to see it long enough and I was going home and I wasn't going to tell my parents because I knew I knew exactly what my father or my mother would say so I was like I'm not yeah. even talking about this well and and then again years later for me uh mm. it ended up that um one of the guys featured in like the um the like tv show where they covered it um what's uh what's that uh, unsolved mysteries you're right so one of the guys that was featured in that show I believe his name is Dennis Sant and he was some kind of uh, maybe council member in Putnam Valley. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, he ended up like, again, I, I didn't realize this until way afterwards that he was the brother of one of um, the martial arts instructors that I knew from this place I went to. And wow. I was like, Oh my God, it's a, it's a small yeah. world. Right. <laughs> right. What a connection. Well, and I, I, yeah, I didn't realize that until after I knew the martial art instructor. And then again, I'm like, wait, Oh, Dennis Sand. I'm like, Oh, no way. And it's like, that's his brother. And it, and it was uh, so <laughs> small crazy. world. over yeah. here. It's weird yeah, that we're fr from this place. It was like a, this epicenter of, mm. of, of uh, UFO, but are, are we ready to bring on Deb now, Nathan? I think we can. We'll get, we'll give it a okay. shot here. So I'm going to okay. add Deb to so, the, uh, to the stream. Okay, Deb, you there? So, uh, I just want to in intro her real James, if you can hear me, this is, uh, she goes by at a study of UAPs and UFOs. Uh, her name's Deb. Uh, she's a psychologist by trade, and she has really done a deep dive into document research, going and finding everything that's open source, uh, everything open source about uh, that that's available on any of the three-letter agency websites about UFOs. So um, I think, like Nathan, she's going to become somebody that's that's well known in uh, in this space. So Deb, uh, can you hear us? Deb, can I get an amen? Ha! Can you guys hear me? Hey, yes, ma'am. Great. So unfortunately, I was not able to use my beautiful avatar, so I will share that later. But I wanted to say hello, James. Nice to meet you. Hey, how and are you? Um, thank you very much. Um, I would like to ask you a question about communication with our visitors. I would like to ask if you have a recommendation and specifically for the U.S. military. And if you think there is any risk involved in that communication. What, what's the first part of the question? How you would recommend that we would communicate with our visitors? Well, um, again, I, on if you're going to talk on a, on a technological aspect, because for all I know that there is advanced technology that there there can be interactions with, um, because even in C5 field work, there's rudimentary forms of electronic communications where there's interference with electromagnetic devices and, and, and things of that nature. And I've, I've seen some pretty stuff like, I've seen stuff like that in person that was pretty um, unique. Um, I don't know how much you can garner from that type of communication if you have to develop a system to kind of translate that. Um, but get, getting to the consciousness aspect, um, as, as far as recommending, I mean, I think there's there's people that are actually looking into that in deeper programs. Um, you know, we hear about the different things, even in like American Cosmic with these different experiencers and they're kind of part of agencies and they're studying this in secret. Uh, so I, I think they do have basic understanding on that level, on an open source level. Um, you know, is I don't I don't know if I I mean, if I would recommend it. Just say, hey, everybody, let's do it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a proponent of it in the sense where if somebody's open to doing it, I'd say um, you're you're much more likely to have uh, a positive experience. Uh, however, um, you know, when somebody 
you, you don't know how you're going to react when you have an encounter. You might think, yeah, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to see some kind of ship or something or some orb or, you know, whatever. And you go out and you do it and it becomes unsettling to you. So I, I don't, you know, everybody's an individual in that sense. So, uh, you know, usually the people that are going to do it are people that are driven to do it. Uh, so in that sense, I'm, I'm open to making recommendations for people who are just going to do it. And um, meditation is, is usually, you know, at, at definitely in the, the CE5 protocols, meditation is, is a standard. And even uh, Mission Rama, who was doing the same kind of work back in the 1970s in, in Peru, also had meditation. And, and both groups recognized the, uh, the power of meditation to kind of stabilize and calm you. Um, so you're more balanced and settled in a sense. Um, because there's, there's you know, stories of people having CE5s, especially the, the early C-SETI years. Um, where, you know, they're like, yeah, we're going to go out and make the contact and do this. And then uh, ships appear, you know, crafts come in uh, fairly close and people, they ran and Freak they out. drove away and sped away. <laughs> like they oh, were, wow. you know, so stuff like that happens. And so it's all individual. Um, so, you know, getting to the, you know, the communication part, right. Um, there's, when I observed basic forms of communication where there's a, an acknowledgement between you and the UFO or the intelligence. And there's, you know, as far as if you receive impressions and telepathic downloads and things like that, um, again, trying to understand what that is directly, that's something that has to be studied because, um, if I receive an impression or a message, I mean, how, how am I supposed to validate that? Um, so that's why I think that the, the CE5 work in contact needs more attention and study. Um, I don't know if I want the military doing that, you know, cause that, that, that's not the, their mission. Right. Um, and I understand Lou Elizondo kind of emphasizes that, uh, you know, the military has specific, um, you know, goals and missions. So I, you know, I think we need science doing that kind of thing. Mm. Um, different scientific groups. Um, I mean, even, even the Galileo project and stuff, they're, they're going to be looking for things um, to, to, I'm not sure what kind of information they're going to gather, but it looks like the time being, even just collecting that data is going to be a form of communication in a sense until, you know, there is a more profound level of contact because even let's say we get three people and we're all say there's three U S government people and they're sanctioned. They say, listen, we're going to do the C five protocols and, and, and do the communication, uh, you know, and they all get the same message. Uh, you know, even at that point, how do you validate the, the message that you're getting is accurate number one mm. um and, and number two and I, I hate to say this as as like a contact person but how do you even how do you trust it right how do you know it's right. to take it at face value 
and 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 something I always come back to, even with my own experiences, is the interpretation of that of the you know even just the the person interpreting um, the information uh, is how much of that is rubbed off from their own subconscious. Um, I hope that that answers some of your question. Hey. If not, you can kind of beat me. <laughs> hey, no, hey James. Actually, Nathan has something, a whole topic that he's going to want to go into with you on that very part of how can we trust certain things. And uh, yeah. it's an interesting hypothesis. Yes. Deb, did you have any follow up as to uh, to that or was that it? Uh, I remember there was I something have, I, about. Yeah, I, I actually was going to say, I think that's a very interesting perspective to mention that there might be something electronic in our consciousness is kind of what I got from the first part of that, right? And then, you know, of course, people have talked about using math and um, symbols, all very interesting ideas. And hopefully you are right. Science will embrace that and let us know. Yeah, and I think there's, there's, there are, um, I don't want to say even claim destine maybe I, it's better to say proprietary studies into that right now <laughs> like that. no well no because it's, no, it's proprietary nice. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. that's how these things that's how the good stuff operates is proprietary um so that that is it is being looked into and the, the scientists that are dealing with that are they have good ideas um but they're they're just as baffled as us in the ufo community even if they have some um, interesting details and hypotheses and, and even the science to back up some of what their hypothesis is uh, that they still don't have the answers to the bigger questions. They're, they're just as, yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah, they can see EMI and say, okay, I think there could be something to materialize here, but they can't the biggest, and we got to get Akashi in here cause she's got a question for you, but nobody knows how to, the biggest problem we're having right now is we don't know how to contact them. We don't know. We can't key the mic when they, you know, when Ryan Graves see those those uh, circle inside a cube thing and say, hey, hey, guys, uh, you know, can you land on the carrier deck? Because we just want to have a dialogue with you. We I mean, don't have our, a way to speak to them. As far as, far as, we, know. as <laughs> we know, there 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 may be there may be something that we just don't know about. Um, I, and I have to say, I, I would think that the, the UFO phenomenon, if it wanted to, it could clearly facilitate that kind of communication. Has sure. it happened and and it's been classified by the NSA? I have no idea. I have no idea. Yeah. And uh, I, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't stake it either way. I wouldn't say yes or no, because I, I really have no idea. Yeah. Well, yeah. Deb, thank you for uh, coming on to ask your question. We're really glad to have you with us. And uh, I know you're going to be back in the chat. So we'll uh, we'll definitely be looking stuff, for future man. questions that you got there. And, and appreciate you you spend some time with us. I'm going to bring uh, Akashi on. because She had a question as well. Our esteemed associate producer. Akashi, uh, Chris. Hi. Hi, James. Hey. So, um, so as I was watching all kinds of videos and looking into everything that you're doing, I started um, doing my own research. And um, today I was telling, um, I was telling the guys and I'm like, okay, I'm going to download just to, just to see what, you know, what this is all about. I'm going to download the C5 app. And, um, and I want to kind of look into it because I, I don't want to have an opinion about something that I haven't even researched. But, um, but at the same time, um, as, I'm, as I'm looking through this and starting, again, newbie at this, 
Um, so it looks like once you achieve that awareness of consciousness, of true consciousness, right? So it's a concept of consciousness, not the things that happen, but consciousness, the fact that I have a conscience, that I am conscious of the things around me. Once you get, you know, so you go through the C5 program. So once you have gotten to that point and you've been able to experience, is that something that your mind is just now more open to things and now you've kind of made us like, like almost your brain has switched a little bit to, to be more of a hub or do you still consider the CE5 method methodology necessary to grow that, uh, grow that experience or evolve it? Mm. Yeah, that was a great question. Uh, thank you. And you have a very cool background, by the way. Thank uh, you. <laughs> Akashi, that's, Chris. That's cool. yes. um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess there's a few things you can go over there um, because You know, I, I just to be honest, there's going to be people that are exceptional in, in these regards for for no other reason, maybe genetics, um, predeposition, conditioning. So, you know, you're going to have your Picassos that for some reason they can just tune in no protocols, no nothing. Um, you know, I, people might not like this example, but, uh, you know, Dr. Stephen Greer, um, Christopher Bledsoe. Dorothy Ezat, there's people that can, you know, but it, it so happened that those people had a particular kind of spiritual inclination. Uh, so I don't know if that's telling to one thing or another. Mm -hmm. um, but th there, are, you have your, there's people that are going to have an easier time with that. But generally speaking, for the majority of people, I think regular mindfulness or meditation practices are going to help facilitate that um and you know it doesn't have to be so overtly as sitting meditation seated meditation although i would recommend that as a stable for people that are going to endeavor into ce5 in contact um you know even project unity j you know he was saying how you know he'd climb and he gets in the zone so that that zone is um you know, what in, in Theravada we call um, mind-body, you know, body-mind awareness. And that's actually a very powerful state, I would say, for facilitating this kind of contact. Um, even in Grant Cameron's book, uh, there, you know, uh, contact modalities, they were taught, John Burroughs was, you know, the Randall Shrum experiencer and he had this, you know, pretty crazy experiences and, um, you know, I think it was Dr. Kit Green or somebody else had recommended to him doing, combining a type of um, Kripulya yoga and, and Vipassana at the same time, you know, combining those practices because you're basically doing a hemisync effect. Um, you're balancing the nervous system. And so, it, you know, seated meditation is, is one thing, but you know, you could actually do a contact sequence while you're doing a workout, um, you know, while you're doing a, a jog, while you're doing music, while you're doing art, and that could be very effective. Um, but uh, seated meditation, yeah, I would, I would recommend that. And what I have found personally um, is that, you know, concentration-based 
exercises do help, although you don't want to get too locked into concentration. Um, but those, and I, and I actually found out later that um, what they call them the in, in Buddhism, the jhanas, mm -hmm. uh, which are concentration states. But uh, in actually Buddhism, the foundation of all Buddhist magic is the jhanas, and those are concentration states. Um, so diff different, different modes are going to work for different people. You have the CE5 protocols, um, which for people listening, the, the basic CE5 protocols are not necessarily necessary for CE5 itself, but they're a good guideline. And the C5 protocols would basically be to do one of these meditations, whether you're using pranayama, counting the breath, um, you know, open awareness, kind of Zen. Um, there's all different practices you can do. But once you do that practice for any amount of time, you know, again, 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes, an hour, and then after you you do the meditation practice, then you do what is called CTS, which is coherent thought sequencing, which is what Dr. Stephen Greer would say is a remote viewing. So you're actually going to remote view UFO intelligence and use a visualize a visualization vector to remote view them basically back to your, your location and go back and forth through that process for another 15 or 20 minutes if you can stand it. Um, so that's the basic CE5 protocols is doing meditation and then doing what's called CTS. If you can't remote view, you just use visualization and uh, that will work as well. Um, I, did I answer your question? Yeah, you did. Because um, first of all, I just kind of wanted to see if, if you were, if you kind of, it looks like you still follow the CE5, you know, you know, methodology, and that's something that probably helps you also evolve. I mean, for somebody like me that has like the attention span of a gnat, I have really bad ADD. So it's like really, you know, hard for me to meditate. And it's like, I need, you know, that, that kind of structure. But well, what I was leading with that, I'm sorry, it was, I, I've never tried it. I I'm looking at people like you that, you know, I mean, you have experience with it. And the fact that, you know, it really kind of correlates with a lot of other things I've been looking at. You know, the thought experiments that Einstein used to do, the Akashic records and the access to that. It's like some kind of, it's like this web that's all tied together. And that's why I'm looking at CE5 because it, it's all part of the puzzle somehow. I don't know how, but right. it's like, yeah. if you miss one part of the puzzle, that puzzle's not going to come together and it's going to look like, you know. Yeah. Well, I was, I was even going to do a video a while back called, you know, UFOs and the observer effect. Hmm. Cause you have something like that going on almost with CE five and intention and awareness. Mm -hmm. um, but this, that's, that's what I like about the, the CE five protocols is that they're great training wheels. Hmm. If you'd have, you know, no formal introduction to any of this. And you, I mean, it just makes sense where you can do A, B, and C and have D as the result. I mean, it's simple, it's straightforward. And I would say if you're serious about, um, you know, pursuing that, you know, follow the protocols to the T for a few months. And then at that point, you know, see, start experimenting a little 
you know, because, you know, at that point you should have some responses and you'll, you'll intuitively kind of devise your own approach based on your own inclinations that actually that process will probably happen um, instinctually almost. Uh, it did for me um, where I, I still mess around with the C5 protocols, but like 90% of the time I'm doing my own protocols that, that I just... That's that's where I was leading. At some point, uh, you now you're kind of got that connection, you know. Right. It's like yeah. so you do your own at some point. But um, anyway, I'm gonna let Nathan and um, and they talk. But um, for my part, I, I don't I think, think I've ever had like a challenge to me. He said, "Try it for how long? Six months? A couple of months?" He said, "Couple of months, yeah. A couple of months, yeah." Okay, I tried for a couple of months, and then we're gonna regroup. how 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 often are you going to be doing it well okay now you're talking details no but yeah but i mean yeah and you you can state the challenge you can put the challenge on twitter so i can give the time back to nathan dj you put the challenge on twitter tell me how often and i'm going to try it it's not a bad idea generally anybody else that may want to participate my, uh, yeah, my only kind of advice as far as that is like what you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Again, there's there's some kind of um, people that they had it's beginner's luck. I mean, I've seen people where like the first time uh, they have an experience, it's just like incredible. And then I've, I know people it took them a few months and they were having very basic kind of experiences. But then again, they they eventually started having pretty profound ones, but that it was only after they were doing it for months um, going out. And those were people, some of them I went out with, um, I was going out with them maybe once or twice a week um, for, Oh yeah. I used to do when I, or in, in the earlier days, I can say I was doing this almost every single day for several hours a day. Like, um, you know, if there's like a professional level of CE five, I'm up there. For sure. Yeah, amazing. One um, last thing, and I'll let you go. Is um, I, I'm not having any expectations except for going through that journey, because even just if I can get to meditate and feel like I'm I'm more aware, that's a win. So yeah. I can, yeah. and and according to things I see, it's like you have to kind of go in kind of with an open mind and pure heart and no, you know, ill intentions. Mm. So that's how I'm gonna step into it. It's a challenge. See you on Twitter. I'll let you guys take back over. I love it. Thank back you, Chris. Back to you, DJ and Nathan. <laughs> All right, peace. <laughs> Akashi. Akashi, yeah, Chris, ladies and gentlemen. I, I was going to say, I don't think I've had a, a coherent uh, thought sequence ever. So, Nathan, this, this in <laughs> itself it. would different be revolutionary paradigm. if I could have a yeah. coherent Coherent life changing sequence. I think that would well, be please. With, you, with, the, with those introductions that you do on this channel, there's some mm-hmm. kind of coherent thought going. I agree. I agree. He's a master at that. So, James, you I know. guess the question I have for you, uh, I want well, to I just, I just, I'm sorry. Yeah. I just want to do yeah. one insert here. Please. People may be curious about CE5 here. Of course. There, there is a free PDF book hmm. uh, that I know somebody in the CE5 network created. Um, called a C5 C5 field workers guide I believe um, okay. there's a website and a PDF I'll, when when the show's over yeah, I will send it to you I'll send you the link we'll a CE5 manual okay. and it's, it's on Amazon where you can buy the PDF for 
one dollar or it's it's just free on the website okay sweet and yeah it, we'll put that in the description man that'd be great it, yeah there's it, it's not just the ce5 protocols there's several different approaches in there and they guarantee i mean again they guarantee within six times you'll have some kind of experience right um but again it's it's a very useful tool and it's free yeah Cool. Wait, man. That's awesome. So what I wanted to ask you about, um, I know you're familiar with the work of Leslie Kane uh, and Dr. Jeffrey Mishlove, who I know you've spoken with. Um, and where I'm going with this question is, what are your thoughts on the intersection or connection between uh, things like physical mediumship and, and CE5? We think there's some kind of uh, you know, similar mechanism or pathway that is occurring there. Are we manifesting these objects rather than uh, them, you know, coming to us separate from us? Are they part of us? And is that something, is that something you've explored? Mm. Yeah, I'm going to say it's, it's, we're, we, there's several different phenomena that are going on that are intersecting and there's all of that is going on. Um, I'm going to say some of it is literally probably what we would call extraterrestrial intelligence and is literally using just a super, super advanced technology to facilitate these kind of interactions mm. and manifestations, like literally just technology. They've, mm. they've mastered the, the stuff, um, even the science of consciousness. Um, but I, some of it is what we would consider spiritual technology. Mm. And there are entities and intelligences that interact in that way. Um, and I've, I've had different experiences where you, there's different qualities like that. And I, again, this is beyond what I can explain. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's, there's certainly different qualities of interactions where some seems technological and some seems like spiritual. Mm. Um, and again, I, metaphysical, spiritual, however you want to, you know, phrase that, um, you know, even some of the stuff at Skinwalker Ranch, there's probably a combination of stuff there where some of it may be technological and some of it may be what we would consider spiritual or metaphysical. Okay. So, and I, I think mean, that, how do you, I mean, how, how do you distinguish between those two? So I guess I'm, I, I think I struggle with the technology component of your answer. Like what, how do you identify that it's technological and not, spiritual or metaphysical well i mean there's there's some interactions where there's there's a light but there's you can see a craft like a, mm. a outline of a physical craft okay um and you know things like the tic tac um have qualities that i, I would consider that technological you know, yeah i would consider them to have technological components where there's some things that you can encounter which there there seems to be no technological component that now that doesn't negate the fact that it's a form of technology that we just don't understand mm -hmm. but again um some paranormal things they they just don't seem to be technological in nature in the way that we understand it maybe again spiritual technology um but not technological in the way that we perceive it as using tools in that sense okay um so to be able to distinguish between that i mean you literally just have to have a ton of experiences and compare them and contrast them and give it your best guess 
Got it. So that, again, I don't think there's a hard science to that. Maybe somewhere there is a better understanding where, you know, in classified programs, they can determine based on, you know, different signatures mm. that something is te technological and something's metaphysical. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they, they were studying stuff at Skinwalker Ranch. We, we've never seen all the results of those studies. We don't know what they garnered from that. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just one you know, OSAP was one program. <laughs> right. Yeah, Ramirez was absolutely fascinating with your friend, uh, Jay from project unity, who is somebody I'm going to start to pursue. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I listened today. Um, do you want to talk about Johnny come lately? This interview was probably like two months ago or whatever the hell it was. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I just listened, I'm not even finished with it, but Ramirez is fascinating and he is offering us in a window into things that heretofore, I can't say we didn't have a window into some but because by virtue of the fact we have Lou Elizondo. But now you're having a guy who's a GS-15 uh, retired who's backing up a lot of the things that Lou said and expanding on other areas that Lou hasn't really gone into. And he, that guy's been authenticated. I've talked to somebody in DOD who, who ran his Social Security number that he got from him, and he's who he says he is. Yeah. Uh, we're going to bring on somebody else for you, James. Uh, we mm -hmm. have Stephen Greer's flair. Uh, <laughs> would love to add. Yeah! Greer's flair, our, our chief humorous <laughs> show and humorous antagonist. Uh, Greer's flair, man. James, Is he on, can you hear me? I can yes, hear you. Are you at uh, Vero Beach, Florida over there? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm actually in California. <laughs> That's Whoa, big, I got my lollipop. You know, I'm ready to party. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I got a question for you. It's about it's about alien abduction since we're on that topic anyway. Sure. So that um now that the mask mandates are out, you know, they're 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 going. We got those mask mandates. And do you think that might be abduct the aliens may be abducting the wrong people? <laughs> Don't know. I can't, I can't I mean, presume to, to know uh, alien intelligence. Do you think that, that that's the reason for disclosure? Because the wrong people are getting taken. And, you know, that's a big deal. <laughs> because they can't they can't tell who the real person is, is that what you're saying? Right. They can't mm -hmm. tell the difference. Yeah, they're like, oh, is that James? No, it's DJ. Uh, so this right? could just be causing a lot. Of, they're going to go after Exo Academia and they're going to get Nathan. Mm -hmm. it's, exactly. it's total chaos. So well, you know what? <laughs> In the actual, you know, we can consider them alien intelligence. They they seem to have, they could know where you are. I think so, I, I can't wear a disguise, like maybe no. to bed, or <laughs> I think maybe like a you know a gray alien mask. You know, maybe. Right. Yeah, he's one I of us. Even if you this guy, he's okay. already one of us. <laughs> That's too bad. That's, I they might guess, take like, you if uh, you look like one of them. That you know, we we left Charlie, you behind. Charlie, James, you just, chocolate factory. They're gonna find you anyways. You just oh, die bombed man. his theory. I mean, James, he thought that he could really disguise himself. He doesn't want to do a Travis Walton. He's gonna be no. up there suffocating. He's naked. Sure. No, they're gonna find him. They're gonna find him. You know, just put my mask on. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> Sleep with my, you know, my sticks. I got. I can bribe them. Got my lollipop. There, yes, you should have a dowry. You know, actually, I owe uh, 
uh, I owe Andy McGrillen a dowry for Nathan. But yeah, you should definitely have some money in sort of a tray yeah. on the side of your bed because you never know. I mean, just like the Bitcoin. tooth fairy. Yeah, you never know when you're going to lose a tooth. Yeah. So. <laughs> right. I love okay. it. Especially if, if your mistake with the nunchucks could be all of it right there. Oh, hey, yeah, buddy. yeah. I don't know. That might be why they don't take me. I've hit myself so many times. So many. Damn it, good. Total we would protection. never have known that, that, that that's happened. So, yep. uh, Greer's huh? Flair. <laughs> Greer's Flair, do you have anything else before we get you out of here or throw you out of here? No, that's it. I'm good. That was my theory. I, I, awesome. The mask is not going to prevent abductions. It's not going to. No. no. Okay. All right. Back well, James, to the drawing board. You can't have yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen Greer's Flair. Thank you very much, brother. We'll talk to you. <laughs> incredible <laughs> i love this guy. i yeah james i had a very similar question so i'm glad that uh that that, that uh we Did got you? that out of the way uh and also akashi said there's a couple of questions from the audience akashi could you throw up uh, the ones that you would like uh, james to consider or nathan whoever. yeah well i'll let her uh hunt okay. that down let me ask you a question james from okay. for some recent uh take so i I know you've been keeping up with uh dr diana pasolka and uh that she's been coming back on the scene we're gonna have her on the show on monday uh, next week so looking forward to that chat with her um she recently commented about uh the collins elite and that um she didn't think that it was necessarily a uh an actual thing but she was surprised to find the number of people within uh you know, the Pentagon or, you know, the, the powerful circles who, who are, you know, very devout religious uh, Christian believers. Um, wh- what is your, your take on that? Do you think that that, um, you know, does that kind of add additional weight to this uh, concept from Elizondo that, uh, th- you know, these folks are really pushing hard back against studying the, this phenomenon further? How, how do you kind of hear that uh, from her? Um, I mean, just, I have to go based on my, my own research and, and what I found is that there are groups like that. Um, and, and, and some of them are competing. So there's some that are just religious fundamentalists and there's some that are religious fundamentalist eschatologists. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and the, they like legitimately not like, oh, kind of like sort of, um, and these stories go back and, and people that have penetrated deep into this world, Mm. um, you know, sometimes to their detriment um, have encountered that. And it's, I I don't, I don't think that keeps coming up for no reason. Um, You know, even, you know, Christopher Bledsoe, I I don't know if he said it, but his son has Ryan Bledsoe on on the podcast is very Mm. outspoken about um you know these different secret societies in the pentagon mm-hmm. and um i'm i'm convinced that they exist they may not be in an organized matter where they're having meetings and saying listen guys this is what they have we have to do mm-hmm. but just by them having those beliefs and acting on them um and and trying to pursue their agendas and beliefs that that might interfere with the process and if they have substantial power and influence that's going to affect the results of of what's going on and i think that this these these people have existed from the beginning 
of the entire disclosure process. Um, again, you go back and Dr. Stephen Greer's is talking about the Majestic 12 group, but he's talking about um, these eschatologists that he encountered that, that believe that they're going to bring forth the second coming by doing what they're doing and partially involved with this subject. Um, so I, I, I think that there are legitimate groups like that. I don't know how well organized there are, but they, there seems to be several groups like that that are competing with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, and I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, and I kind of think it's just a free for all, mm. right? Um, and um, again, there's probably atheist groups. I know, yeah, they, I've I've heard I've heard a lot of stories, um, and and based on the patterns of all that, I think that there's there are several groups like that that are competing, um, and I, I'm sure that they want their narrative to win. Um, so that's probably part of what's going on too. There, you know, you have the competing narratives that are going to facilitate what they believe is what they believe is the right thing to do. Cause mm-hmm. I don't think they're, you know, they're going out there. I mean, I think they actually literally believe, um, you know, some of these things and, and they're acting on that. And, you know, if, I, that might not always be in our best interest, right? I mean, we're they're, they could be making decisions that influence us all based on some kind of ideas we would consider wacky or un, unfounded. Yeah, I'd actually like to get Nathan. I'd like to get your take. Uh, if you're surprised, and and in addition to that, what what's your take on it? Kind of just like what you asked, James. Yeah, so I th- I think it's understandable how it, it how it's an ideology that took hold. So if you think about when. Uh, the phenomenon started to really be encountered by the government, at least the accounts that we're most familiar with after, you know, after we started testing the nukes and, and Roswell, of course, comes to mind. You know, that was a time period in our country's history when uh, Christianity was, you know, so widely held. Like it was a very deeply held belief uh, within, you know, the majority of the country. People, most people went to church. Those people grew up in a church. Now, there were different denominational beliefs, but the, the kind of fabric of society was very Christian in nature. So encountering uh, a, a downed craft or beings, you know, you're going to view that entire encounter through that kind of uh, religious lens. I guess what surprises me about that is that um, that was a long time ago. So, you know, as time has moved on uh, since then, there surely have been different actors and players involved with, with the phenomenon who are bringing their own uh, sort of new religious or non-religious perspectives to play uh, as they interact with whatever this happens to be. And James, you know, you just hinted at that. There could be very, uh, very much competing factions within uh, the government of those who have access, those who buy into this uh, sort of end of the world uh, cult, if you will, and those uh, who, who are pursuing it purely on sort of scientific grounds and merit, you know, and you kind of see that that faction represented really well through the Galileo project. And I think, quite frankly, through what Lou and Chris are advocating for an an open, transparent study of whatever this happens to be, kind of reducing the stove piping that has occurred and just sharing information so we can we can master this or get on top of this before our adversaries might be able to do so. as far as the ideology itself, and I, I want to talk to that for a second, the end of the world, you know, sort of when he says eschatology, what we're talking about is it's the study of the end of the world, basically. 
and uh, in in the book of Revelation and in, in the Bible, you know, the Christians throughout throughout history have read that book and have kind of tried to extract extract from that book, uh, you know, meaning or prophecies or uh, you know, sort of breadcrumbs that that they can overlay on their own time and say this we're actually living in the end time that this book is speaking about. So uh, you know, the return of Christ is is near. The end of the world is near, and, and and we're living in that actual time. Now there are lots of different flavors of this belief, and I won't go into all of those. But the the short of it is, if if they kind of hold this worldview, and if they've interacted with the phenomenon and and, and what it purportedly can do, then I think they're they're, they're taking th- these concepts and saying we actually now have the tools and the signs to be able to accelerate the return that is heralded in the book of Revelation. And so they want to be able to do that. It's a very, when you, when you kind of step back from that, it's a very seductive and powerful kind of narrative. So those, in my opinion, who, who've latched on to this way of thinking, it's a bit of a power trip to think that like they can uh, kind of hold the reins on this thing and bring about usher in the end of the world as, as prophesied in, in this book. Um, I think it's, I think it's historically uh, very, very shallow. I mean, and I say that because every generation has basically had its prophets or its uh, its interpreters who've looked at that book and done the exact same thing. You know, they looked at that book and said, "Oh, you know, in the 1800s, you know, oh, this is this is, you know, Abraham Lincoln is is the Antichrist, and like this is all going to be over after such and such." So this has happened over and over and over again. And any student of history who looks at that will tell you, like. It's never actually come to fruition, and so I, you know, I I look at that and look at that repetitive, uh, repetitive sort of uh, cycle, and I say there's not a lot to uh, taking that particular position. But I guess when it comes to this one topic, you only have to be right once, right? So you only, yeah, uh, you know, the end of the world will in fact happen at some point, uh, at least in a cosmological sense. We know that the end of our, you know, our own galaxy is going to you know, end at some point. Um, so it will happen one day, you know, how close are we to that, that moment? I, I don't know, but it, it does bother me that there are those in power and, and positions of influence who seem to have adopted that belief system for two reasons. One, they're either deluded and, and, and are ill-informed and just, you know, laying their own theological preconceptions onto whatever this happens to be, or, and this is the worst, the worst one, or they actually have enough knowledge about something that we don't have to where <laughs> it, it, it brings actual credibility to what to to to, to buttressing their their theology. And on that point, I'm actually that 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 really concerns me when I hear things from Diana Pasolka where she's saying, you know, there she encounters a lot of people who become more fervently religious after they've studied this. Uh, you know, Tyler, she mentioned today, you know, and, and she mentioned in her book, American Cosmic, uh, she talks about Tyler, who we all know is, is, is somebody else, but he converted to Catholicism uh, after uh, traveling with her to the Vatican. Uh, and he's, you know, su- supposedly been very closely connected to the, the phenomenon. So th- those things are a little troubling to me that, uh, that there, you know, there really might be some meat there. There could be a there there, in other words. Well, and so we talk about is that you re, a lot of people will reevaluate their life after some sort of a close contact. Uh, my boss, my ex-boss in the 
position before now, I was a very, very devoutly Catholic man, but he's also a very scientific man uh, as well. And he told me uh, at the outset when I told him I was interested in in delving into this topic uh, with my show and all that, which we start doing, he said, people that are religious are going to have an issue with this. Mm-hmm. As far as the Pentagon is concerned, I don't. I know guys and gals that have worked there. I've never worked there, but I would imagine that if there were a vocal majority, it would be the religious one. It would not be the anti-religious one that would be a vocal or right. a uh, majority. It's just not uh, something that would win you friends mm-hmm. in an organization like that. Well, I did so, want to ask you that question, DJ. So in your experience within the Air Force and the military generally, I mean, I'm under the impression that you know, kind of uh, the Christian worldview is kind of the predominant worldview within people who are in the military just broadly. But is that kind of, is that one, is that a true? Is that a valid assumption? And two, is it, is it overt? Like, can, is it, is it pretty prevalent within the culture that uh, in the, in the military? I would say generally, yes, but I also have to uh, suffix that with the fact that most of the, the last decade plus of my career was in Air Force Special Operations, and mm. that was very white, very Christian, very mm. conservative, those mm-hmm. three things. And if you were outside of that norm, then you were sort of an outlier. Mm. Uh, so I was ascribing, though, what you said is kind of my experience a little bit in trying to project that, that I could envision the Pentagon being like that, but that might also not be, mm. be accurate. Uh, but yeah, they were the vocal majority. And uh, if you weren't some of that, then you were the not very vocal minority. Mm, okay. Yeah, but uh, let's bring on. So we got a, a, a question for James. We'll do mm-hmm. what I'd like to do. Is, this is from uh, my brother, Stuart Mullins, uh, Chris's husband, my new friend. <laughs> and uh, what we'd like to do is do a C5 question. But, James, I would feel uh, that we didn't do it justice if we didn't really get into what your experiences have been. So after this one, I'd like to go there, but please let's entertain Stuart's question. Yeah, so okay. I'll, I'll ask it if you want. Okay. Uh, question please, for yeah, James. Please. It's uh, very time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not a problem at all. So uh, what role does locale, location, play in C5? Does the distance from a city or lights or people make a big difference? Noise pollution? Uh, uh, generally speaking, I would encourage that people get into uh you know what wherever is going to be easiest for them to just do it right um you know don't make it where like you you feel like oh i have to wait you know next month when i can get out to this you know quiet location to do it um i've had experiences in the middle of new york city in midtown manhattan Mm. uh that were profound Wow. Um, on several occasions. So, I mean, it doesn't, you know, you know, if you're in LA and the sky is really hazy, there's still people over there doing some, you know, the, um, the, the UFO summoners, I believe right. George Knapp had them on. They are out over there in California. And even in those hazy skies, they're having great experiences. So while it does play a role, I, don't make that an excuse for yourself and don't make that a priority uh, unless you're going out and you're doing like a, you know, it, if you're doing a field work investigation, you're going to collect data, you're going to set up some cameras. Yeah. Get into a location where that's going to, you know, be ideal. 
But if you're just trying to do it to see if it works or you're just to do it as a, you know, something that you're trying to learn or practice or even do on a regular basis, don't let that hold you back. Um, so, so, go ahead. so James, like even like a burned out building in the, the South Bronx, you know, with people doing crack all around you, that would still be an appropriate place. You could still do it there and it will still work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, um, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. No, but that, I, really I'm thinking it, new Jack city, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, it, again, the part, yeah. the bigger part of that is how that, mm. that, uh, environment affects you yeah. mostly rather than, Oh, the phenomenon is not going to come here and interact because, um, you know, I, I can't say I, I know their psychology, but I don't know how judgmental they are. Uh, although like, again, if some, sometimes, um, if you have like a camera and you're just like waiting, like, Oh, I'm going to take a picture of this interaction. It's going to totally mess up your mojo. Not happening. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, again, and, and we, you have to come to question of, is that part of your own mind where it, that is, that's your intention and your priority and it's interacting with the actual experience of just being there with no expectation and um, being involved in the process rather than like, you now you're thinking you're waiting and that kind of thing is a distraction. So there's, there's a few parts of that um, equation. Are there places that can magnify the experience, though? Like, are there places in the world that you think have Sedona, a, baby? A, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. So that that's that is, I think, that's something that's true. Where there's locations where there's higher contact, but um, I don't want to phrase this the wrong way, but just as important location is there's there's certain people that just they have an affinity to the contact where mm -hmm. it doesn't matter where you are if you were with chris bledsoe you might experience something kind of thing and i'm not i'm not even kidding about that you know yeah. there, again uh stephen greer um in the early days uh, i can't say much for now but in the early 90s you know and i know people that were with him in, in many occasions they he was a ufo magnet mm -hmm. um and you're talking, you know, not just orbs of light, sometimes what seemed to be physical spacecraft, for lack of a better word, mm. um, always seemed to be around wherever he was or or when you went to hang out with them, when you went back home, there'd be residual psychic effects, um, both with the UFO phenomenon and, you know, individual subjective experience. Mm. Uh, so those those kind of things exist. So location, uh, yeah, is one thing. Uh, people are another. Um, but I, more importantly for everybody listening, your own conditioning is is going to be your main concern priority. So yeah. it's not the three L's of real estate. It's just one L <laughs> out of other other elements. Let's talk about your experiences, James, mm -hmm. because I want to get I want to get down to the nitty gritty when I have that much time with you. So uh, we got about nineteen minutes. So um, my brother. Tell us what went down, man. Well, I mean, do you have any specific questions? Do you want well, me to go through well, the whole? Because I've told I've told the story a few times. I mean, if you want it just here on your channel, I can tell you the story in in kind of like a chronological order. Or if you have specific yeah. questions, that's fine. No, I I mean just sort you. of a, a or even a, one a, anecdote, right? Like yeah, one that really stuck with you the most. You know, yeah. maybe that. Uh, 
there's again it's yeah you it's not just <laughs> well it's not and and again i've t- i've told stories of all these different um encounters that are kind of like the highlights but you know mm-hmm. i've i've been doing contact work for for this whole time so i've mm-hmm. i've had hundreds if not in the thousands of encounters by now incredible um wow you know yeah literally and i'm not i'm not exaggerating and i i don't i don't generally speak like that because it you know it's kind of comes off the wrong way but it's just as a matter of fact mm-hmm. um you know there's and i'm not the only one there's again chris bledsoe is always out there having encounters so it there's there's plenty of people that are are having regular encounters right um so did, did you have, uh when the when the book came out hunt the skinwalkers at the pentagon and it it proposed this hitchhiker or contagion hypothesis wow have you experienced that at all or anyone in close to you experienced that at all after the experiences that you you've had has, has there been some kind of you know contact effect yeah after effects are a major part of the ufo phenomenon but um and I know what Diana was talking about too when she was recently speaking about it. She knows scientists that studied that, and so do I. And there were real effects that were, in some cases, very negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, as just as I mentioned, um, you know, there's also the same effect but positive. Right. Um, and again, I you know I know uh, Nathan, you have like a religious background. Um, you, know, you can even go into something like Shakti pot hmm. or um, transmission and, and those kind of things. And that's similar phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, I don't like the idea so much of, of gurus and, and, and that kind of thing, but you know, there is a thing again, I mentioned with Stephen Greer, there were people that would encounter him and hang out with him for a while and go out and do some CE five with him and then go back and there would be residual effects for a while. Same with mm-hmm. Dorothy Ezat. Mm-hmm. Same thing was reported. People would come by and visit her and then come back to their homes and have spiritual experiences, UFO encounters. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that regard, the hitchhiker thing, uh, there there's it's not just negative like that they reported from skinwalker um and i i believe what they reported was true i don't think that they're um they're just trying to spin it in a negative way i know people that did the science there and those things that they said did happen Mm -hmm. um so that they're not trying to just spin that in a way for a kind of agenda what they said happened uh and it's 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 true but um what isn't highlighted there is what they didn't experience um, at least over there was that there's, there's the same thing where you can have a, a healing experience from the UFO phenomenon, mm-hmm. you know, and there, that's a residual or after effect. Right. So there, there's, that's a, that's part of a much bigger conversation and the hitchhikers thing is just the beginning of, of that conversation. Right. Uh, Looking back through history at different religions and and kind of how religions have spun out um, from experience, you know, that is very similar in many ways to experiences that we're hearing about with the phenomenon. Uh, does it strike you that there there seems to be a kind of uh, like recursive selection happening? Like like it's not like everyone's having this experience. You know, it's it's not that every and, and people who may genuinely want to have an experience. I mean, there are millions of people around the world who 
consider themselves to be devout believers of XYZ. And I don't think that most of them are having, you know, kind of similar experiences, but there are those within those pockets of belief who have very profound, significant, dramatic experiences that end up kind of creating or spinning out sort of new follower groups, new uh, ways of trying to recreate the experience that, that they're, a particular leader or prophet or whatever uh, explained or, or tried to explain to their followers. It almost seems as if we're in a, you know, the earth is some kind of like a sphere of, of information that is like selecting people throughout history to be representatives or, or, or contact experiencers. And then the rest of us are kind of latching on to these nodes of, of, of interaction. And then we're building stuff around them. Like we're, we're kind of elevating that one thing that they had and trying to build structure and systems and, you know, organizations around them, things that we now call religion uh, or other, uh, other systems. What, what, what do you think about that uh, take on it? Oh man. Um, human nature. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say yeah. humanity. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, I think that, that everybody has the potential if they want to, to have those kind of experiences. Um, but I take issue with that. I mean, and I don't mean to be, you know, I'm not trying to push back in a ne negative way, but I come from a very, you know, I come from a background that is religious. I'm not religious anymore, but you know, when I hear uh, Bledsoe, Ryan Bledsoe talk about, you know, his dad and his dad's experiences and it, it comes across as like, you know, you just have to, you just have to believe X, Y, Z. You just have to do X, Y, Z, and then you're going to have an experience. It's very formulaic, and that is not true. I don't. I really don't believe that to be true because well, he's were... he's explaining his experience and process, right? right? So what my process or you know DJ's process is going to be completely different. Um, they some of these people have found it. You know, Dorothy Ezat. Um, I, I think that, I mean, again, there's this thing where it comes down to, oh, the, you know, the genetics or the caudate nucleus and, and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. But I, I, I don't believe it's just limited to that because I've seen people come from not really having any experiences to having profound experiences when they actually tried and they went about it, you know, mm -hmm. I, but again, what's your threshold? How right. serious are you taking it? Um, you may think you really want it, but he, like, here's the thing. And I, this is going to sound dumb really, but like, I can say I want a Mercedes, right. Mm -hmm. And it's like a cool fantasy and I have it in my head and I can imagine driving this Mercedes. Um, but there's, there's, there's people who, who, who want something and there's people who really want something yeah. and there's people who are just going to do whatever it takes. And, and, and they're just going to get the Mercedes. Like yeah. they don't give a crap how they're going to just do it. And mm -hmm. once they have it, they have it, you know? Um, so I think there's a kind of an attitude of that um, mm -hmm. where, you know, again, once you have, and again, I can, this is just um, thinking on it. I can't say this is a fact. Um, I'm just thinking out loud here. I, I think that if, if, I, I don't think that there's there's people that just can't uh it's impossible for them to have any of these type of experiences um I, I just don't think that's the case necessarily 
have you have you ever read the book The Outliers? No. Okay, you know that's the the book by by Malcolm Gladwell. Oh yeah. And oh yeah. Yeah. So I mean, you know, they were even saying like the people that are talented are 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 not even the people who end up being like the top, right? Because they get lazy. And the people who just put in the damn work, mm-hmm. you know, Michael Jordan was kicked off his, the, the high school team. Um, Randy Moss and Jerry Rice are actually a really good example. Randy Moss is mm-hmm. one of the most talented physical receivers we've ever just seen. And Jerry Rice had the better yeah. production. Right. The yeah. 10,000 hours concept, right? Yeah. He's yeah. Yes. That's from, that's from the outliers. Yeah. So again, I mean, the, you know, and he, he, Michael Jordan, arguably one of the greatest players. And I'm, I'm not even like a sports person, but I just remember that from, that was an example that they used in the book. Right. So uh, I, I, I don't think that there's people that are physically mm-hmm. incapable of having those experiences. However, there are people that seem to just like, in, in my case, I didn't, it's not like I was like, a small child and i was like please let this shit happen to me and just right f my life up mm-hmm. um you know for better or worse right mm. um i just um you know and it, again you you could there's different frameworks to look at that yeah is this is it karmic is it have mm. to do mm-hmm. is it genetic is it a combination of those is, is, does your karma have cause and effect and cause your genetics? I, you know, again, there's, you can bring this into whole spiritual metaphysical right. thing, or, you know, did I, did I, before I incarnated into this world, did I choose that this was going to be my path kind of thing, you know, like our Dolores Cannon uh, territory, right. um, or even, you know, new age before that. Mm. Um, so I, I, my, my belief um, is that I don't think that there are people who are physically incapable of, of having such experiences. Um, but I mean, I don't, you know, know that necessarily everybody really wants to be thrown into that. Right. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And there may be no way to empirically test it, you know, yeah. so it's, and if it's, they don't yeah. want it, it ain't going to happen. Right. Well, right. maybe it will actually. Yeah, well, there's, no, well, there's, people I mean, there's people at, that Travis don't. Walton. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's people who de- who definitely don't don't want to have abductions and abductions had occurred, um, even though the majority of them after the fact come out saying um, that they that somehow positively transformed them. And that's a lot of what John Max work brought forward and and people like, um, you know, Ray Hernandez and Ed, or I can't say Edgar Mitchell, but the Edgar Mitchell Foundation, which was the free organization or now um, CCRI mm-hmm. uh, the conscious contact research Institute um, with Ray Hernandez. He's the guy maybe you want to have on. He's going to be releasing uh, I believe volumes two and three. Mm. Ray Hernandez. Okay. Yeah. Ray Hernandez. Um, I can put you in touch with him. Yeah, I'm familiar with his experience. It's fascinating. Ooh, it's incredible. Uh, yeah. And, but you know, just as incredible is, is the, the work that, that he's doing with Rudy Shields and, and all these mm-hmm. other people, Dr. Joseph Burks um, wrote a chapter. Um, I believe that he has written another chapter that's coming out in a new volume that, mm-hmm. you know, John Alexander wrote a, wrote a chapter wow. um, for the beyond UFOs um, massive it's like a text. It's like a university textbook. Mm. It's massive. Jeez. And they're coming out. They had to come out um, 
with the new volumes, they actually split it up into separate volumes because it wow. was just like so massive that, you know, they're like, okay, let's give people like two or 300 pages at a time instead of yeah. like 800, 900 page volumes. <laughs> wow. I, yeah. I have a, a question for Nathan. Then we actually have another questioner for James uh, that'll probably get the last question. But Nathan, uh, speaking of CCR, uh, do you see a bad moon rising? <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Come on, James, you're supposed to smile. It's required. It was in the contract I sent you. It was Jeez. in the contract. Yes. Writer. He didn't get his M&Ms. Okay. That was the, uh, All right. yeah. <laughs> the peanut m and Reese's exactly. Pieces. Oh, there we go. There we go. <laughs> Nathan, do, do you see uh, a religiosity in the way that we're interacting on UFO Twitter right now? Do you, mm. do you have a sense that we're becoming... Uh, or, or a burgeoning religion of some sort. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I think that the, the the ingredients are certainly there. Whether or not it comes to fruition it, it remains to be seen because in some ways I think these things take, you know, generations to really transform. Um, so I don't know that we would necessarily see that come to fruition in, in, in our short period of time, but I could see it happening, you know, over a long period of time. Mainly, if, if we start getting to a place where there is a, uh, a way that we're saying, look, you can experience the phenomenon through doing X, Y, Z. Essentially, I'm going to use a word for that, a ritual. You know? So if there's a ritual that you can do to have an experience, people will do it. You know? They will adopt the ritual, and it will become more ritualized over time. Uh, and then those who are very good at it will become the, uh, the, as James mentioned, kind of the gurus or the priests or the, you know, I'm just using terms that we're familiar with, but they will be the ones who folks will gather around to, to look to as the experts, you know, and whatever those experts say as, you know, I found this to work, you know, then that is what their followers will do in hopes that they too can have a perceived um, experience that is that is oftentimes kind of conflated with like a salvific experience. There's there's a reason why we want you know this. There has to be some inner drive why people want to connect with this, whatever it is, and 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 that could be different reasons for different people. It could kind of be the same thing, but but the ingredients, in other words, are are there. And and you know Stephen Greer might be a good example as someone who's kind of elevated himself uh, to some degree, whether rightly or wrongly, you know, as a guru, um, and a lot of people do look, look to him in this, in this way, you know, so uh, what, where I kind of try to keep my guard up is at least with this is, and as you guys both know, there's so many different, um, interpretations of what's going on. There's so much, so many different avenues of interest and information. You know, I, I kind of side in the camp that we're never probably going to know what it is, but we, you know, it's, it's worth studying. You know, we need to really, we need to devote, uh, time, energy, our science, you know, our, the, our philosophers, you know, all of these people, all of our good thinkers, you know, we need to devote that those folks to this so that we can better understand it. And if we can, then if it becomes more real and less uh, etheric, which is sort of how it feels now, then uh, at that point, we may start seeing, you know, the real foundation of a future way of, of being, of doing. And that kind of gets to the, I don't want to necessarily spend too much time on it, but, and I know because we have another question, but James, I do want to get your thoughts on, uh, you know, as a meditation practice pr practitioner, you know, what would you kind of advocate for people generally? Because is, is this something that you would say, 
like if 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 you had you know your if if it had it your way or I think it'd be best would is it best for humanity kind of everyone to do this kind of thing and follow these kinds of practices and and engage the, the phenomenon <laughs> I'm stealing your, your show's term but is this what we would <laughs> is this what we would re- recommend is this what we really want is this something that uh is even feasible i guess is the way, way, way to put it um i mean uh n- no in the sense where I, you know it's not even um recommendable for everybody to be practicing meditation mm-hmm. um some people are going to have adverse effects. There's a you know, percentage of the population that you, you, they start doing meditation and they, you know, maybe it's other factors in their life and they just get into a thing. And I'd really, you know, actually one of the first po- podcast guests I had in, on engaging the phenomenon is somebody named Daniel Ingram. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he talks to this about the meditation stuff, right? Like, um, getting into some meditation territory is not advisable for everybody. In fact, it could make you want to quit your job and leave your marriage and all these things. And again, my friend um, Grant, I'll just say that he had a, a profound contact experience and um, it affected his relationship. I no. hope he doesn't mind me saying that. Um, so those kind of things could happen because you could think oh, it's some innocent, simple thing yeah. and you don't know what you're getting yourself into. And I, I'm not saying that in a negative way. Again, sure. my, my whole thing has, it's been, uh, for me, I, I view it in a, in an optimistic light. That's mm-hmm. just how I, I see it, at least for me. Um, but I, you know, I don't think everybody should just do CE5 because maybe not everybody's ready for CE5. Mm. Um, but maybe you can have dedicated research teams that are, are doing that investigation. I wouldn't advise everybody play football. It's right? like you know? absolutes. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's absolutism. Right. We That's can't right. have, there's nothing everybody should do. And you know, right. I, mean, yeah. I, think it's, I think it's an important thing to emphasize. Um, and yeah, I, I, I'm not saying you haven't ever emphasized that, but I think for folks, you know, listening or folks in the community generally, oh, okay, yeah. you know, that there is no one way to to really experience this. You know, there's no one methodology that is going to crack the code or you know solve the problem or whatever it is, because it is it's just too diverse and we're too diverse, right? Right. Yeah. And and we need to be celebrating these different sort of modalities because it's through these different modalities that we're going to re- really get the answer. It's not through one avenue of discovery. It's through many avenues of discovery and inquiry. It's like yeah, TV and, dinners. Not everybody's going to want the one with the, the fried chicken, the mashed potatoes. Not, the corn, oh, you can never get the right combination. It's, never. It's the way I want out. the one that has the pudding and the chicken. <laughs> no, but no, but <laughs> I and Dolly's uh, TV dinners. That's what we're going to do. No, yeah. Actually, uh, Chef Boyardee. Chef Boyardee. Everybody, everybody calls it Chef Boyardee. It's not Chef yeah, Boyardee. It's Boyardee. Yeah. Um, no, but <laughs> and but even getting to the the meditation thing too yeah. is that um you know I'm forgetting her first name. I believe her her last name was Willoughby, mm. or maybe that's her first name. But she had a uh, university research project. Uh, it was uh, initially it was called the Dark Knight Project, and then they changed the name to be more academically appeasing and and not so but it was it was about meditation and people coming into what 
what is called the dark night of the soul. Right. Um, so even people practicing mild mindfulness practice, which is, is, is just, um, basic, uh, attentional awareness, present moment stuff, mm-hmm. not close your not, eyes, breathe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, even in some cases, milder, so milder mindfulness, just mm. being, you know, you can eyes open awareness and just mm. being aware of what's going on right now. So, um, you know, there's different practices like uh, mindfulness based stress reduction, which is yeah. meant to be have health benefits. But some people um, even just practicing that were running into territory after continued practice where mm. they start to realize that and, and again there's deeper fundamental questions to this yeah. and it's, it's you know if they start realizing thing, and it's you know it's it's, it's difficult to, yeah. to have that conversation because they could just start realizing things in their life that they don't like and it can <laughs> cause a you know what i mean it's oh, it, I, I, yeah totally it opens a door it a happens during things. pigeon pose uh, <laughs> uh it happens during pigeon pose james and by the way I'm thinking yeah. I need to take you down to Peekskill and go to Prana Moon Yoga and let's take a class from my homegirl down there because she's an amazing yogi. Uh, we have Method yeah. of Error. Has James ever suspected he was taken by the intelligence he has interacted with? Uh, I have no idea. Not to my recollection. And uh, I'll, I'm just going to go say that I'm not somebody who is a fan of, of hypnotic regressions or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't recall ever having, uh, being taken. Um, I've had, I had frightening experiences, but I, again, there, is there a way for it to have happened and me not knowing? Sure. Um, but I have not no that idea. You're aware of, not that, you're not that I'm of. aware of. I don't okay. think so. Um, I don't think so, but you know, okay. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to find out um through another means of just conscious recollection either i wouldn't want to um i'm not i'm not a fan of hypnotic uh, regression yeah just just for my own you know again that's just my my way just like uh in in the meditation world i'm not a fan of the whole past life thing yeah um i i'm i have a more of a zen philosophy in that way of here now even if I remember that I was something in a past life. It's like, how does that affect me now? And why is it relevant? Gotcha. Right. Yeah. James, I'm so. going to leave all my meditation stuff in the duffel bag when I come to New York. <laughs> I'm not even going to break it out. So, I, you know, fine. Uh, all right, Max. Uh, so, Maxie yes. McCabe. Uh, so, what's up, brother? Hi, how you doing, DJ? It's good to see or to speak <laughs> to you and to see you visually. It's good how to see you. That's an excellent beard. Your hair looks great. Uh, very, very, very soccer player kind of. Mm-hmm. I dig it, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let me just uh, frame this up. Nathan was 100% correct today, when he, which he is most of the time. He said, uh, oh, I think Max is thinking not about the experience around table. He's thinking he's coming on tonight. But me, like an idiot, didn't clarify it. And so Max has joined us. He's had an amazing experience in the UK that blew my socks off. Not right now because I have socks on. But back then, it did take the socks off. Max, my brother, man. What's up? Hey. Tell us well, what's up. It, it would take quite some time. I think you're near the end of your um, show that you planned, right? 
<laughs> yes. How you doing, James? Nice to meet you. Hey, how are you? And hi, Nathan. Hello. Um, no, I apologize for the mix-up. But yeah. No, it's, I um, apologize. So I'm an idiot. Idiot. <laughs> Go ahead, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pleasure to have you on, man. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> um, I did have a question for James, actually, uh, just before. Is have you had any um, what we might put into the box of paranormal shadow figures, poltergeists, anything like that happened to you after you began interacting with UFOs? Is that ever? Uh, I had all that actually mostly okay. uh, before. Beforehand. Um, well, before, but yeah, a after as well, um, but m more so before. Um, so yeah, that I, I did have experiences with that. Um, well, that that's why I tend, yeah. I was going to say, I tend to think some of it is, is connected, but to me it was, um, at least it, it felt clear from, if I could distinguish that they weren't the same phenomenon, but it was again, something that people can consider paranormal. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting that we use this, um, language is so limiting right hmm. As yeah you no know, so whatever words we choose to use we like to pigeonhole things and put them in boxes which really oversimplifies things which are way more complex and words just don't do it justice right hmm. so um what happened to us here i'll try and be brief dj yes sir <sighs> like september october 2014 um, I've never had any interest in the subject in my whole life. Um, but I didn't ask for any of this stuff to happen. And it was, some of it was positive, but we had a lot, lot of negative stuff happen too that became completely out of our control and quite scary to say the least. It became very unpleasant. Um, but I'm aware that obviously there's, there's a whole spectrum of things. I had a... <sighs> Man, it's really difficult to talk about, but I'm going to try it. So one night in September 2014, my daughter was at the front of our house with our neighbor's daughter. Um, and as they were at the front, I was asleep. It's about 11 o'clock at night. Uh, they watched three balls of light in the sky that are making formations and patterns. And they shot off eventually. She told me the next day I was in the garden about four o'clock in the morning um, before I went to bed. I'd been working all night. As I was sitting there, looking up at the beautiful, crisp, nice sky, beautiful starry night, really cold, um, there was a double flash of white light. So as I've just thought, well, lightning or something like this, um, and then I thought, well, it's not humid, there's no clouds. And as I was yeah. thinking that, another double flash of white light, pure, brilliant white light. I've looked straight up and, and there were these two uh, spheres of white light passing over my head. And then they, at a right angle, they shot off so fast it left trace lines. It ran through the house. Um, there's nothing there. A few minutes, maybe it was 10 past four in the morning because I looked at my watch thinking I'll tell my daughter I'd seen the same thing that they'd seen. And as I've come into the house to, to lock the door because there's nothing happening now, they're gone. As I've locked the door, turned the key, turned around to go up the stairs, I was struck by what can only be classified as a telepathic instruction. It wasn't words, 
but it certainly shocked me and stopped me in my tracks. Um, and I, I, my mind unraveled it into don't close the door, go outside and look up. Uh, so I did. And as I've stepped outside of the house and looked up, a huge golden object, maybe 50, 60 feet up, not very high at all. If you stacked this house on top of itself, a two-story house, which is about 10 meters, I now know. Um, this thing moved out and stopped right above me. So all at once, James, as I've stepped over that doorway and looked up and I'm gobsmacked, I felt like I was bathed in extremely strong static electricity. I mean, all of my hair stood on end, all of it, not just the back of my neck. I wasn't scared or anything like this. So I'm stood under this thing. I'm struck with an overwhelming feeling of love and so much that it made my eyes water. Pin drop silence. I'm just absolutely gobsmacked and in shock. The thing is probably as big as a bus. It was like a horizontal diamond shape, but it only had a diamond shape because there were shards of light emanating from the center of it vertically. Yeah. Around the edges, more towards the edges, were golden tinged, but moving plasma. And beyond that, it was as it, it appeared like plasma. It's the only thing I can equate it to. But it was so bright, it should have burnt my eyes, like looking directly at the sun. But it was soft on the eyes. It was gentle on the eyes. It was like a, a luminosity that I'd never seen before. So beyond the edging, it was as if it was setting the air on fire. It was almost like flames. It was just absolutely beautiful and stunning. So I'm, I'm taking this in. I didn't know what else to do. So I just waved. <laughs> what else do you do, right? Yeah. Then it started to dawn on me that it might not be safe, that I might be in danger. I just, you know, human brain starts thinking, this is insane. I can't believe what I'm seeing. Why is it silent? I can hear myself breathing, my heartbeat. It just was too, too crazy, man. Tingles up my spine, going over my scalp, all the hairs on end. I look left to see if any of the neighbors were awake because I need someone else to see this. I considered running into the house because the door was still open to wake people up. But I felt from the moment it told me to go outside and look up, I felt an overwhelming sense of being watched and observed, a complete intimate connection, as if it was still connected to me, like it knew my thoughts. And it was at this point that I considered my phone is in my top, top left jacket pocket and that I should take a picture. I've got to take a video or a picture or something. The moment that I thought that, this thing starts to move left. Yeah. Left. The moment, and I felt like I'd messed up. I felt like it did not want that bit like it was an intimate moment just for me. So I start to walk under it saying, no, 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 don't go. I didn't want the moment to end. It starts to speed up. So I'm now jogging and then running and it curves to the right and starts to head higher and higher and faster and faster. I ran to the edge to where I could, as far as I could go, because there's terraced houses. And I watched this thing rise up into the distance until it's, so high up in the atmosphere and it just disappears out of sight within maybe six to 10 seconds at most. So this was the very first night, right? The second night I'll skip over because I'll be here all night <laughs> explaining everything. But the second night I was pacing the house. I, I wanted my girlfriend to, by the way, I tried to stay up to tell my girlfriend what had happened and I was a wreck. I was 
I didn't realize at the time I was in complete shock and I just couldn't stumble through the words. I literally broke down because I was in such shock from what had just happened. I couldn't process it. So the next night I asked her to stay up with me. She didn't. <laughs> and I'm pacing back and forward, back garden, front garden, back garden, front garden. And the thing comes back from a different, different location, roughly the same height. And it just glides along the rooftop rooftops of the neighbor's houses and I consider running in to come and get her or try calling her or am I going to take a video well I wanted her to see it I didn't care about no damn video so I try calling her and I'm watching it and it's literally just gliding along as people are asleep at this roughly wow. the same time about 20 past four in the morning this time and it turns on a right a right angle left turn so now it's heading from my right across to my left and then it glides up into the same point in the sky. Third night, it comes back again. This time I've got her to wake up early and I'm pacing around, she's making coffee. And then all of a sudden it comes from back here, it comes straight down and stops. I call her out, she looks at it, oh wow. And then the thing hangs for about 10 seconds before it just zooms up. So it made like a V, a v um, pattern. I never saw that one again. A few nights later, I'm driving down the road in gale force winds and there's a red ball of light hanging in the sky. It catches my attention. I know there's nothing back there but high tension power lines and a train track. So I pulled the car over. I'm absolutely wanting to get a picture this time. So I get out of the car. I reach in to get my phone while keeping my eye on it and it just blinks out. The, you know, it was after that that things started to get pretty pretty negative uh, i say negative that's not that's not a clever way to put it the way that i described the feeling of love from when i was under it the first night it didn't come it didn't feel like it came from within within me naturally it felt as if that feeling was projected upon me because there was no logical reason for me to feel that sense of overwhelming love it almost felt like an angelic experience it was alien angelic it was magical it was shocking all at once as you know there's no way to make sense of it your brain just goes into meltdown because you don't know there's nothing to relate to this it's just so unique so um that feeling of love me and my girlfriend were out the back maybe two weeks after these first experiences nighttime with having a conversation and all of a sudden that feeling just dropped on us but it was not love, it was negative, it was terrifying. It felt like we were being watched, but in a really, just basically felt filled with terror. Of course, we both stopped, hairs on the back of my neck went up this time with fear. But again, why? This came from nowhere, right? It just came from nowhere. Silence fell, and then these huge, heavy footsteps from right in front of us where we're facing there, we have fence panels with huge gaps in between the fencing. So you can see straight through. There's lights in the back, so you can see straight through. These footsteps sounded like a damn dinosaur was walking back there. They pound left and right, left and right. And she got so scared, she ran in the house, slammed the door saying, I'm sorry, babe, I can't. I'm sat there terrified, frozen to my chair. And it made me mad because it felt like a test. Mm -hmm. felt like it almost whatever this was it was as if it was trying to test my resolve 
So I got mad. My reaction was to get angry, grip my teeth, and get prepared for whatever was going to happen. And just as soon as I got mad, the feeling lifted, the normal background sounds came back, and everything became normal again. I sat there for another minute, went over, looked over the fence. There's nothing there. But these footsteps came right in front of me where I should have been able to see what was making the sound. And there was nothing there, man. After that, me and my son, he moves in. He's 14. We go for a walk in the woods. It's one o'clock in the afternoon. It's a broad daylight. And as we're walking towards those woods to go into the tree line, that same feeling, that same terror, suddenly out of nowhere as we're mid-conversation just drops. I stop. He says, Dad, do you feel that? He's 14 years old. He's just moved in with me. The first thing that happens is this. I thought, oh, excuse my French, but oh, shit, he feels it too. And then that feeling of being watched had a direction, and it was drilling into the back of my head from up there. So I turn around automatically and look up to see what was a dark metallic um, cylinder that half of it just zoomed behind a big puffy white cloud. I'm not taking my eyes off it, thinking hot air balloon, jet, whatever. You're thinking of every possible thing that it could be. But I clearly saw the back end of a cigar shape or a cylinder at least. Just jet, jet behind it. I said, did you just see that, Corbin? He said, yeah, Dad, you see it too. What did you see? He said, it was like a cylinder, like a can. Next thing I remember is saying, we've got to get out of here. We don't remember to walk home. Now, um, it was that next day. He'd stayed out at night. And I'm in the living room. I'm in the house by myself with my six-week-old baby boy at the time. He's asleep on the sofa. He wakes up crying. As I stand up to pick him up, I notice movement out the corner of my right eye. And I look over, and in my doorway between my kitchen and living room is uh, maybe four foot tall, halfway up the door frame a shadow figure with an oversized head. I didn't notice anything beyond the waistline because I, di I didn't have time to look up and down. And this thing is moving like as if it's looking my direction, makes me jump out of my skin, and the thing just glides fast across the living room. No bumping up and down, no walking motion, just glides fast. Scared me out of my wits, made my heart skip a beat. I physically jumped out of my skin. <laughs> Now, I didn't tell my son about this because he stayed out that night. The next day, he comes back. I'm upstairs. And he runs up the stairs going, Dad, Dad, I just was doing my hair in the living room. And this shadow figure just ran across the room. So, again, he's just seen what I'd seen and I hadn't spoken with him about it. After that, he had para um, poltergeist stuff happen. In this very room was his bedroom. And this door handle, he says, when he was here with a friend, started shaking up and down and the door came open and they both left the house. They were so scared. So I had two more things after that, um, a silver sphere in the sky in broad daylight. I managed to film a little bit of it on camera, three video clips. Um, I was at work and at the time I worked in a job where the kind of people I was around, you really don't want to be saying, oh, look at this UFO in the sky. So I just yeah. said nothing and filmed it. And it was a... A dark metallic sphere it wasn't it was literally a sphere the thing just approached my position so I, I noticed it at a quite a long far distance so I got the the, the, the phone out and started filming 
it came up and stopped and it just kept moving left and stopping. It was quite a windy day, wasn't affected by that. There was no noise from it. Eventually, it took about 10, 13 minutes to move out of sight over the tree line. And the final thing, so I wanted to, <laughs> I'm wrapping it all up. The final thing, I was driving late at night by myself, a very isolated road, the A47, their piece where I hit. Um, and I noticed to my right, what I thought was a plane crashing because there were some orange lights just came down real, real fast and then kind of glided up and started heading my way. And so I'm double taking thinking, is that looking for flashy airplane lights or something? And as it approached, I realized that it's coming to intercept perfectly my position. I had nowhere to pull over. And eventually I realized there were just three balls of orange amber light that was side by side horizontally and they passed so close to me that if i'd have stood on my the roof of the vehicle i could have touched them there were just three balls of typically uh beach ball size orange lights they passed over i saw them go over the hedging and that was in 2018 so the whole thing that we went through lasted about three and a half years um and of course it's taken me years of trying to come to terms with it. I've never done meditation. I've always wanted to. Um, I've never, like I say, I've never looked for any experience like this, but it's left me with, of course, more questions than answers. Frustrating as anything that I've ever experienced before. I want to know more. I've come to terms with the fact that I probably will never know anything. But um, yeah, it's just good to be able to share that. Thanks, DJ. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you for sharing. It's an honor to have you here. Oh, yeah. Deb, he's already going to be on the Experiencer panel. We've already worked that out. Uh, we're thinking we're going to have, I think, Linda Thompson from Twitter. We're going to have, so we've got a couple people, David, John Lanier. But yeah, uh, So, but it's a target of opportunity that uh, my error led to Max being on and you guys, because <laughs> Nathan's heard the story third person, um, but James hasn't. So I'm would you like to comment, James? Yeah, I mean, I I think you um, have kind of the right idea about it. Is you know, you want to know the truth, but you you have an idea or you've come to grips with that. You know, you might you might not get all the answers. I think that's a healthy uh, place to be. Um, you know, as far as meditation and stuff, I. Um, that's something you're going to have to experiment with, right? Is it going to make more of these experiences happen, positive or negative? Um, you know, the, the only way you're going to know is to, to actually do it and find out. Um, you know, personally, you know, I'm in a similar situation where it was baptism by fire. Um, but my nature is just to go directly at it. Um, I, I, I don't know if that's advisable, <laughs> but, you know, engaging the phenomenon it, is kind of my thing. So I, I, I'm just going straight for it. Um, it sounds kind of like you probably have a similar attitude where you, you want answers because, you know, things like that are going to happen to you. And uh, I, most people, I don't know. I, I don't think that's something you can just put behind you and move on with life. Maybe, maybe some people can, maybe that's wiser, but um mm -hmm. You know, I can understand seriously just wanting to pursue it. I mean, that's what I've done. Um, do you, did you feel that it was um, 
like the same phenomena or did, did you have um, like, what was your instinct that it was the same or, or possibly different phenomenon? Like the first experience when I opened the door for everything else that followed. Exactly. That, that was my question is that I, that that's the thing that tests your sanity, right? You have to have a strong yeah. mind and I'm just extremely lucky that I had, by the way, I forgot to mention, um, it wasn't just our neighbor's daughter. They've moved now. And my daughter and my son and my girlfriend and me. It was also a, a gentleman that lives local to here. He'd posted into a group chat. He'd taken photographs of these spheres of white light just a few meters away from our house in 2018. And he'd posted pictures of them with a blurb where he'd said <clears throat> he was walking his dog at 20 past midnight. And he'd seen these three balls of light making, dancing around, making formations. A third one joined in, sorry. Yeah, two balls of light, a third one joined in. And then they shot straight up incredibly fast. His question was, has anybody got a reasonable explanation as to what <laughs> these things are? Well, there's no reasonable explanation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then thirdly, I was lucky enough to have MUFON's director in the UK call me Jack Turnbull. He told me about a few things which struck a chord. And it turns out that a, a, another gentleman that was driving up the road here on the very same road that we live in 2018 again had filmed on his dash cam footage of two spheres of white light passing from this side over to the other side of the road. So it seems that it was a transient thing that happened um, in this area for a couple of years for whatever reason. Um, but to answer your question specifically, at the time, that's what made me really, that's what really made me almost insane, is I thought, yeah. hold on, I just had this UFO experience, whatever that is, now I'm seeing ghosts, what, like, what the hell's going on? At the time, my gut instinct was just a knee-jerk reaction of, this is paranormal, I'm seeing I've never seen something like that. that was crazy, man. Um, I don't know what to make of it, James. And that that's the thing. Why are so many people having a UFO experience and then, you know, shadow figures, poltergeist, what we call paranormal? You say you had it the other way around, and that's fascinating. So it, were you meditating back then? No, well? I mean, as this, for me, it started when I was really young. So right. I, I didn't, there's no concept of meditation. Um, and again, those, the original entities that I saw, I, I, I don't know to this day if they were associated with the UFO phenomenon or not. Um, I could speculate that they, they were, but I, I really don't know. There was a telepathic thing for certain. Um, and again, that's what we were talking about before. Is that a technological um, or kind of metaphysical technology. I, I don't know. And, you know, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you where, you know, I, I don't have all these, these answers. I wish I did. And that's kind of partially what keeps me going is, mm -hmm. you know, maybe I'll gain some insight into, you know, not only what this is, but why did this happen to me? Um, and is there something that in light of these experiences, I can contribute to, you know, the bigger picture of what's going on are exactly. other people having these experiences or, or people who 
are just curious about it or, or, or is there something a bigger role that I don't even understand yet? Mm-hmm. Exactly. A, there's a lot uh, to unpack here, but one thing I want to ask Max, are you in Peterborough near like 50 miles from Bury St. Edmunds? Yeah. yeah. That sounds oh. about right. Yeah. Cool. All right. So when I come to Mildenhall, I'm going to call you uh, in June. So uh, I got to spend like a week at Mildenhall. So definitely yeah. want to meet up with some of my friends from UFO Twitter during that yeah sure uh, i'd love to do that That'd be but great. uh let's go around let's go around the horn nathan do you have any final comments because we're gonna have max back on for the experiencer roundtable actually james is doing contact week mm-hmm. coming up like really soon so i nathan and i will have to see if we can put it together in a short period of time so he and i'll and akashi chris will will powwow <laughs> uh and see if we can put something together uh, but do you have anything that you want to, as we go around the room, Nathan? Yeah, I just wanted to say thank you to James for, uh, one coming on our show, but two, uh, James, I think you're one of the hardest working guys in, in UFO Twitter. Um, and uh, I'm, in, I'm continually impressed by all that you do and the content that you put out. Uh, I know how much it takes to do this kind of thing <laughs> and you're doing two shows and you have a CU5, uh, Facebook group that I know you've been very active with and and it takes a lot and um i I wanted just you to know that it means a lot to me uh what you do and i personally like i probably wouldn't be doing this if i didn't have uh kind of the encouragement that you've offered uh as well as the the kind of the path that you've you've uh, laid out for folks like me and dj to kind of do this type of thing so i just i really wanted to say thank you more than anything uh and wanted to encourage you to continue to do whatever is on your heart to do. Um, but also, and I know you probably hear this from all kinds of people, you know, make sure you take care of yourself at the same time. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you got to have those rest days, man. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't have said that any better. I, I appreciate that. And I'm honored by that. And, um, you know, I think that it's just, you know, I, I partially feel a responsibility and, and, and kind of, again, maybe it's just something I'm telling myself, but this is, uh, you know, my participation is my way of paying it forward. Yeah. And I, you know, I think it's, you know, if I, you know, partially my Dharma, if I can use that, yes, that kind can. of terminology, um, I think it's, it's important. And, you know, if, if there's, you know, anything I can do to participate in the, in the greater picture of something that, uh, I had experience with, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to do it. I, you know, I feel obligated in a sense to, you know, and I, I, I hope I can help. That's, that's all. Yeah, you yeah. are. And you definitely. Are. Absolutely. Yeah. You, I'm you sure. To... I mean, you guys are, are already doing great things. So, I mean, just, I mean, I, I, I probably came onto the scene more publicly just a, a tiny bit before you, but there's going to be the same effect where you're paving the road for others as well. Yeah, we just like to create uh, a safe space, an open space, and like we just—I think we just saw Max do that. And that, if, if yeah. he felt comfortable to tell his story, then mission accomplished. And when mm. you come on our show, we want you to feel like you're the most important person in the room, and that how much we value you being here. I think Nathan just stated it even better than I can, but but yeah, that's so basically you got it. Mission accomplished. Um, and I'm super excited because 
Next month, I'm going to see Nathan in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. January, I'm going home to New York. I'm going to see James uh, either for something at the diner, which is probably for him is going to be like bacon, egg whites, uh, maybe not even toast. And then, or maybe yoga practice down at, at uh, Prana Yoga, Prana Moon in uh, Peekskill. And then in June, I get to go back to my favorite place on earth, other than here, United Kingdom, go to RF Milden Hall, and then, uh, and then maybe I'll see my homie uh, Max. So yeah. uh, for a chippy and a beer, who knows? Nice. So- <laughs> there you go. All right, man. Co- <laughs> What's that, brother? We're going to have a workout together. You work out uh, with Let's James, do it, man. Yes. Workout, yeah, James, man. I'll tell you what, man. This dude is fit, man. We'll go get some. All right. Let's bring Akashi Chris on if, yep. if we can so we can uh, say goodbye to the whole. Hey, there's associate producer Hi. Akashi Chris. <laughs> Everyone do a little bit of Count Dracula. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I love your story, Max. Thank you so much. It's it's and amazing. You. And I, I, it's awesome. Nathan, did I do a good description of it at least? Oh yeah, no, I actually. Well, I had even heard his story on Spaces before. I didn't even know that I'd heard wow. it before, but I it, it's like I heard it for the first time. It's just very powerful, and I, Max, I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Thank you. Yes. Just like James said, and like the work that you guys are doing is important because what I realized is it helps people that are going through the same to realize that they're yeah. not alone because we always feel like we're alone when we go through things like this, traumatizing things can be traumatizing it can be beautiful yeah, as well. yeah. I recognize that yeah but it, yeah. It, we as human beings tend to feel like we're all alone You're and not. we're not and so it's important to be able to share these things and i i just want to help other people as well yeah so we will we want to awesome. make sure that nobody everybody has a safe space to tell their story and nobody has to prove shit to nobody that's that's mm-hmm. the bottom exactly. line you don't have to prove exactly. a damn thing to anybody on this planet so all right, man. Thank you all for being on uh, Calling All Beings. Uh, if you're on the YouTube, like, subscribe. I think we got to 525 today. We're uh, 225. Hot, uh, 225. 226 right. is really 525 more than, tomorrow. Yeah, 226 yeah. is more than we were really. It's kind of it's kind of excess. You know, it's like too much cheese on a pizza. There you go. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. It's an honor. So for Akashi, Chris, for Nathan, for Max McKay from the UK, and for James Iandoli, engage in the phenomenon. <laughs> Put your hands together. And thank you. Thank you, everybody. Uh, peace out. One love. And as I always say, we'll see you down the road. We always wonder what's up around the bend. That's right. Peace, y'all. Thank you. Thank you.